This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's King of Swing fighting though. He's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untapped holding on. What a win. Untapped from the RSN Sandown Cup. But Gold Trip is brave. 100 to go. A leaf and a half emissary. Gold Trip is going to win the Lexus Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes. And a very Hello. good morning to you. Oh, Dan, you're taking the lead. I'm sorry. We haven't got Dan in the studio this morning, but good morning to you all the way out at Caulfield. Sandown. Good, Sandown. Good morning. Good morning, guys. We're on. I said to Simone two YouTube. seconds before the intro, I said, if you guys organise who's going to do the intro, she goes, yeah, 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 yeah. But I can see the side of your face, but I couldn't see your mouth. So I didn't know that you were going to open the show, but I think it was appropriate that you should have. That was the correct decision. Good morning, guys. And you're a, uh, you're a, you're our man on the spot, Dan, for today's big meeting at Hillside. Yeah, what a beautiful place um, this is. I really love this place. You know, semi-growing up here as a kid, I was close to Mooney Valley, but went to all the tracks. But there's one thing, uh, I reckon, when you fall in love with something, you fall in love with it the way it was. When it changes over time, you can adapt. But that quaintness, that beauty is in your first memory of it. And Sandown hasn't really changed that, that much. And I think I said yesterday... Its imperfections are what makes it perfect, and I love being here, and it's beautiful today. It's like Grandma's house, isn't it? You know, with the old record player and the old furniture, but it's still a beautiful big old house. I think. But they have spent $6 million on uh, sort of putting a, not, not just a lick of paint on it, because Simone Sandown is replacing Caulfield for six months while Caulfield's being renovated, and they've got a lot of big races there and an artificial second winning post and so on. So, Danny, you're sensing the, the lick of paint part of it as well to, uh, at the moment? Uh, not as much. I, I personally, I don't want it to change too much. I like going to a racetrack where you're not stuck behind glass. And a lot of the modern day uh, venues are stuck behind glass. You, you, you feel like you're away from it. Here at Sandown, it's open. It, look, let's face it, it is the best place to watch racing. I can tell you as a race caller, it's the best place to call races. Um, and you just hate to lose it. Uh, and as I said, on a sunny day, it always looks spectacular. Hasn't quite got the same amount of uh, seagulls that one's had, but that's probably a good thing. <laughs> I actually did a yarn this week for winning posts about bizarre incidents that have happened in horse racing, and one of them was uh, Seagull Gate when the field turned for home, and Brian Martin said, hmm, this could be interesting, and then all of a sudden the horses and the seagulls, and I think they then hired a hawk or an eagle. You know how there's an eagle mm. at the MCG or a hawk? I think they got involved yep. in the wedge tail action for a while out there. Yeah. And just I think while- there is a... Flemington and, and definitely used to be one at, uh, if it wasn't employed by the club, I used to have a good chat with it when I was at Mooney Valley, uh, a hawk that was there as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. Just before we get back to codes, just on the, the Sandown thing, Laura Lafferty is going to join me, uh, us a little bit later, Dan, as well, and she's got a little interesting little story to tell us, so stand by for a little bit of Laura Lafferty okay. action. Uh, Jamie Mott, Richie Robinson, uh, part owner of the, the Champ, the Inevitable in Tassie, we'll have a chat to him later on as well. Uh, Johnny Smurden up in uh, Queensland, um, and and maybe one or two others as well. But that's later on. But on codes on this codes morning, this uh, young Simone, what are we looking forward young to? Young Simone, gee, that's that's very nice of you. Very complimentary. And I must say, Dan, you're looking very smart today in your shirt there. Unlike the two of us sitting in the studio and looking like we look like we've just come beach. off the beach. <laughs> Which it's a warm day in Melbourne, obviously, and um, looking out the window, there's plenty of sunshine. So you're looking sharp there, Dan. But we've got a couple of sharp guests. On the show this morning as well, we're going to catch up with Terry Bailey, who is the well-known race caller, but he's also got some greyhounds and some pups, so looking forward to hearing from him. And also Andy Gath will have a chat about his chance tonight um, at Bendigo, so looking in the Maori Miles so with Majestuoso. Well, it's so going to be interesting, to Dan, with Majestuoso. These horses that have come off this gruelling into Dominion campaign and then they're still going, uh, it's going to be interesting. Do you just need to let our listeners, the punders, know just how much fuel's left in the tank because he's going to go around mm. at a dollar eighty, and there's a couple other good drives for for Andy Gath as well. And looking forward to Terence Bailey because Terry is a rebel, a rebel race caller. He sort the of speaks rouser. his mind. We never quite know where we're going to go with Terry Bailey. Uh, yeah. He sent me a photo during the week of all these greyhounds lying asleep in his backyard. So they're the next <laughs> era of champions that he's breaking in down at Cranbourne <laughs> South and. Uh, Terry um, used to train him, used, uh, yeah. has always bred him, um, and he, of course, has uh, called some of the great races of Australia, particularly when he was in Sydney a few years ago when he was uh, uh, the main man calling Golden Slippers and so on. So um, 
and he's a lot of fun. And as you know, Simone, have you been watching Tuesdays with Terry on Racing.com when he has a guest on? It is on? fantastic, No, isn't it? I haven't. But mm. I've been trying to Google a little bit on Terry, and it's coming up with um, some things that are probably a bit unsavoury. So I didn't want to look at those too much, but it, I have heard... Is it the same he... Terry that's got the unsavoury stuff? Well, or? I, just people... Um, Calling there was three T Baileys. I, oh, I don't know stage. if I really want to talk, read that or listen to it. So I'm trying to find out a little bit more about Terry the person rather than people's um, he's got rants a thick on skin. social media. He's a colourful Dan. And I did think that. Mm. Yeah. So. And he's a colourful caller who's prepared to stick it out there a bit, Dan, and yep. therefore leaves himself exposed to narcs. But I think that's one of the beauties of him. And Rick McIntosh is the same. Rick's happy to um, not be your stay in your lane race caller necessarily, and he gets a bit of flack. But I think uh, in the bigger scheme of things, you need a, a wide range. You've got the perfect pros like you and Matty Hill, but you've also got the wild card uh, guys as well, which make it all interesting. Uh, oh, it does. It adds to the dimension of race calling, doesn't it? And you look back at all the greats, and I know everyone speaks so fondly of... Um, Bill Collins, but then mm. you look even past beyond Bill Collins and names that you guys throw up, and I'm sure other people do, and everyone's got a unique style, and that's what makes it so colourful. It'd be a bit boring if everyone was the same, but you do. You've got your yeah. contrast between Dan. Just I've never, ever heard anyone say well, a no, bad word about We'll get Dan him one calling. day. We'll get him one day. We'll get <laughs> him, we'll oh, him one day. Jack Storing. Oh, yes. Jack Storing was the classic example, but if you had, if everyone yeah. was calling like Jack Storing, then it would be a little bit like a Benny Hill skit, wouldn't yes. it? Terry, Terry's uh, he's got a great history. I was listening to a, a new market call. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic, and he would probably remember that, but the shows he does on Racing.com outside the race calling, uh, look, I thought really enjoy it. They are so entertaining. The Tuesdays with Terry, as you pointed out, but even some of his contender shows and spring preview shows are fantastic. It'd be great to get him on uh, Cracking the Codes, and he'll be up shortly, Simone. Yeah, he will be. So really looking forward to that. And, Dan, no doubt um, on the racetrack you've probably called some strange and weird and wonderful things, and no doubt Terry as well. And I came up with a little clip of Afghan racing from about 50 years ago, I think. We know we love our British movie tone Thing. So this one's on Afghan racing, and um, if you get a chance to actually look That's at the Afghan greyhounds, Afghan, uh, Afghan, Afghan dogs, hounds. as opposed yes, to sorry, people. people. <laughs> Afghan, I knew what I meant. <laughs> Afghan hound racing, and um, you'll get the gist of it. But if ever you get the chance to look at the vision, it just fits so perfectly with the audio. If man's best friend is his dog, then admittedly he's worth cultivating in every sense. Trouble is that although with all that grooming they look pretty natty, they don't do anything. Just sit around looking bored. However, Mrs. Jean Briggs here, who breeds these magnificent Afghan hounds, has found a practical use for them. She intends to race them. As Afghans are, after all, only shaggy-coated cousins of the Greyhound, the Greyhound Racing Association gave Mrs. Briggs permission to try them out at New Cross Stadium. As you'll see, they haven't yet quite got the knack of hurdling. Mind you, even in flat racing, for which they're more naturally suited, there's little chance of them ever competing against Greyhounds, although if these trials are successful, we might well see them in regular specialised competition. It might interest you to know that Afghans are one of the oldest of all breeds, with evidence of them being kept in Egypt up to 6,000 years ago. They were later bred in northern Afghanistan and used for hunting. And as they rely on sight, you can imagine they have to be fast. Watch them go! The dogs are thought to be capable of 40 miles an hour on the straights, although admittedly one or two don't seem to have their hearts in it. Points like track craft and negotiating the bends efficiently have yet to be instilled, but for novices, they're not doing so badly. At the finish, they're apt to be somewhat confused, as you can see, but Jean is sure that training will produce the goods. Of course, as we said, some just haven't got their hearts in it. And Simone, what the listeners didn't see was the lady with the fancy cigarette who was uh, sort of smoking away as the Afghans... And, Dan, you know what gets me about Afghans? Because you're a dogman, and I know. Uh, friends of mine have had Afghans. Afghans look like unattractive humans, you know, with their long hair and their schnozzes and so on. So the idea of Afghans racing is a bit... You know when they have things like people who look like their pets? <laughs> There's a lot of people who look like Fabio. Afghans. Absolutely Fabio. true. Fabio. Absolutely true. I went to a dog show probably about... Oh, 
over 30 years ago with some people, actually my neighbours who show dog or used to show dogs, and they said you'll see people look like their owners, and they said specifically the Afghan hound, have a look at them. <laughs> and at that time, so it was probably oh, very early 90s, men still had long hair that was flowing as they were running Which with men? their greyhounds. The men that were handling the gray, the Afghans had their hair flowing in sync with the dogs. Yep. So, oh, no doubt. A beautiful I, sight. They, they used to, well, <laughs> an indication of uh, clickbait is um, there's a certain well-known newspaper that um, whenever it did things like uh, those specials, like people who look like their pets, it always clicked more than any serious story. So people are very interested <laughs> in people who look like their pets. Um, t- I'm not sure Terry Bailey looks like his pets, but we'll, we'll We'll ask him about it after we <laughs> talk about the Warrigal Cup heats last night, and then we're going to take a break, and then the great man's going to join us. But there was a shock at Warrigal last oh, night. Oh, there tonight. certainly was. Wow, she's fast. She jumped to the lead from box eight. She's a pearl got rolled the other night, too, I saw up in yeah, New South Wales. Yeah, so that just goes to show they're not invincible. But um, wow, she's fast. will not be contesting the Warrigal Cup. Quite an open field. There's um, a couple of greyhounds that better odds got up. But back in, if I have a look at my notes here, it was back in... Um, Oh, was it 1983? Yeah, 1983 Warrigal Cup was taken out by a greyhound called Salem's Pride. And I have a feeling this race caller was Ron Hawksville. I'm trying trying to listen carefully to see if it is, but I think it is. Racing, Ginger Mick missed it on the inside. One of the first out, Salem's Pride with Sartorius. Ginger Mick goes to third. Then Lee April last followed by Hello Boss around the outside. Is Total Claim spearing into the action? Then Chief Trigger followed by Tequila Topic. Salem's Pride, the leader though, about four or five links in front on the turn. Sartorius running second. Total Claim is storming home down the outside. Salem's Pride, the leader though, and Salem's Pride has won the cup by a length. Total Claim second, tight for third. Ginger Mick might have got third. Then Sartorius, Lee April last, followed by Chief Kruger, Hello Boss, and Tequila Topic was last over the line. Stand by. And last night, of course, wow, she's fast. She was a talking point. Um, she's been. What odds was she form. last night? Oh, I'm not sure. I'd have to have a look, but mm. as short as you probably wouldn't want to have when she runs second. But um, she just jumped straight to the front. She was a good head in front of the dog in box seven. Let's have a little listen to it. Set the eighth. Ready. Racing. Chipping in as well as anything. Wow, she's fast. She does have to work hard from that wide draw. Dropping back to last. Hurricane Max. Wow, she's fast. And Money O's. They settle down to a ding-dong go. First corner. Money O's kicks up leads. Third was Zoe Bale from Mumbo and Arms. Centre field there. Geo Cindy's boy. Aston Merritt further back there was uh, Hurricane Max turning. And with the inside run, Money O's in front. She wobbled deep. Wow, she's fast. And Money O's has got a Money O's too good. Wow, she's fast. Second. Third in Mumbo and Arms. She got the wobbles down and got rolled. She did get the wobbles. Um, no black caviar there, but she's got a bit of money in the bank. I think we can forgive her. And the great thing about... Uh, I, I had a pretty good bitch many years ago, um, and because they're a little bit smaller, whenever they get a bit of a bump and they you know, drop out, the next week they come out at good odds. And you, well, she's fast has done it time and time again. I know because I've backed her a number of times. And just one defeat, and all of a sudden, the next week she's $3, and uh, she'll get up again as she was in the second Phoenix at $7.50. It's, it's pretty remarkable uh, in greyhound racing, the uh, the prices you can get about great, uh, great greyhounds. I just want to ask you guys, because you're the great Greyhound experts. Uh, we've had She's a Pearl get rolled, we've had Wow She's Fast get rolled, and we've had Amron Boy, who got nosed out by She's a Wow She's Fast in a recent match race. But Amron Boy, I don't think I've ever seen a Greyhound that would have beaten him the other night. Is 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 Amron Boy the, the champ now, despite the, the fact he hasn't won $2 million? Oh, I don't think money's always a true indicator, is it, of a Greyhound? Like, how, who's number one now? Number yeah. one. Yeah. I, I think... Um, yeah, we've seen that with the Million Dollar Chase, and I'm sure with the Everest as well. It's not always perhaps the Greyhound that's... I don't want to say it with... Um, he's emerged, though, hasn't he? He's he certainly he's emerged. has. And, and this is he's it. got and close to well, she's fast a couple of times, and, and, and he's still surging. Yeah, and that's the thing. The run home in the in the Phoenix mm. from Amon Boy was so eye-catching. Mm. I mean, she was absolutely brilliant as well. It'll be interesting to see what he does over the next six months. And Can he earn um, a stack? Is, is the big prize money period ended? No. Well, we've still got we've got all the um, got the Temley coming up. We've got the Australian Cup. Um, it's sort of just the Easter egg, the pause of thunder. So there's plenty of big races that will be coming up that Amron Boy will contest, and he's just such a good 500 meter dog, which is what you want for these big mm. races as well. But mm. um, 
it, yeah, it, it's one of those things. Money isn't always a true indicator at that point in time of the best going around. But, I mean, they certainly have to be very good to be earning that sort of money. That's um, Speaking of money, um, we've got a little piece on Cardigan Bay later. Um, and it's just remarkable. Uh, we'll talk about it later. But a first harness horse anywhere in the world to win a million dollars, and it was an Australasian horse. It's, uh, it's, and that was in 1967-odd that he was able to do it, this uh, New Zealand-trained uh, pacer. So we'll have a bit of a chat about Cardigan Bay and uh, his, uh, his loftiness, his greatness, his iconic uh, stature in harness racing, Matt. Well, and that iconic photo of him winning whilst the grandstand's burning. It's a bit like yeah. when Squizzy Taylor did a number at Caulfield on Caulfield. Caulfield. Hey, but, <laughs> hey um, Terry Bailey will be. He's, he watches everything, and he makes judgment calls on everything. So we're going to pin him for, well, she's fast, she's a pearl, Amron boy, and also asking about these dozy pups that he's got out there at Cranbourne, and then lots to do with his colourful career as well. And then, uh, of course, Andy Gaff, who's got Majestuoso and others tonight as well. So all that coming up on Codes. It's 21 minutes past 10. This is RSN Cracking the Codes. Welcome back to Cracking the Codes, guys. Simone Fisher, Matt Stewart. I'm Dan Malicki. I'm out at Sandown. Um, and the view here is quite spectacular. I'm not saying you guys haven't got a magnificent view from where you are, particularly you, Matt. We're um, looking at Sean Cosgrove. I'm oh, well, there you go. Matt Stewart and Sean Cosgrove. <laughs> hey, just quickly, no Cosy, Cosy, just quickly, we were talking about the Afghan races, and you said during the ad break, just a quick little interjection here, Daniel. You've had some bizarre... Uh, did you ride a camel, camel on a beach? I've done some yeah, down the beach, and one of the blokes got pelted off it. They they do hump. It was a camel, the pun, it? but yeah, they do hump up, and they can back a bit. And this, these things decided to go crazy on the beach. And one bloke got pelted and landed flat on his back on the wet sand, and we thought he was in dire strife because there was parts not moving. And I got the money on that. I've ridden an elephant race, didn't win by a short. Where was tank. the Where was the camel race? What camel place? race down St Kilda Beach. Yeah, to promote some movie. Yeah, stupid things you do in your life, and I got no brains. So I get on anything. Um, rode an elephant in Queensland. They had an elephant race through the street, and uh, that was that was fascinating because you sit right up in their neck and hang onto the ears. Um, what else have I ridden? I uh, rode in a donkey derby. I got rubbed out for twelve months after that because they reckoned I pulled a rort because I bolted in. But my old man told me the trick. He said, don't sit in the wither. Sit back on the hindquarters. I'll try and pig root and throw you. Ah, yes. And they take off, which this thing did when I did that. It took off. And stupidly, one day, to raise money for a hospital, I rode a Brahmin bull at a rodeo. Wow. Climbed on one of those. And that is one of the most insane things I've ever done in my life. And I'm not being deeply personal here, but you might have been a kilo or two on the lighter right. side. Yeah, back I was, in that, yeah, And that yeah. been your halcyon day? Yeah, yeah. It, it was yeah. going to be a promotional stunt. Uh, to raise money for the hospital, and what we thought we'd do, we'd ride bull calves. And on the day, you wouldn't believe the people who turned up to see one of the disc jockeys get killed. And um, my old man said, you're going to have to get on one. I said, right And he knew the clown, the radio clown, Pat Speedy. And <laughs> we all know clowns. And I said to Pat, I'm in stripe. He said, I was waiting for you to come around. And I said, which one do I get on? And he said, this one. And they know all the bulls. These blokes are brilliant. He said, he'll come out, he'll buck twice, and then go to the right. You bail out there. And I said, I'll be gone by then. Don't worry about that. <laughs> My kids rode ostriches in Vietnam once, and the saddle slipped on one. Probably not an animal welfare. Yeah. Uh, I, um, Terry Bailey's been listening in. I'm sure he's been. Uh, he's called some wild and wonderful things over the years. And uh, uh, we're going to have a lovely chat to him now. How are you, Terrence? Well, thanks, guys. Hello, Simone, Dan, Maddie, And, yeah, I called at the Edamoga pub in Queensland. I called camel races. I'm glad I wasn't betting on them. <laughs> they can buck, Terry, can't they, when they have a go? Oh, they're dirty animals. They get filthy in the world very quickly. They, <laughs> yeah, they spit and everything. Hey, Terry, you've had a change of life in recent times, and now you wake up to a group of yappers out the back. Tell us about tell us about uh, life for Terry Bailey now and your your little crew out the back. It's not a little crew either. I think you've got a, a swarm of uh, pups that you're educating out the back of the farm. Yes, Matty. I'm, I'm on 10 acres, but unfortunately the council, who have been very good to me because the neighbours all dobbed me in for having too many dogs. I thought when I turned up on 10 acres I could have whatever I wanted, uh, and that, that's not the case. So uh, coming in about ooh, 10 days' time, I've got to get down to five dogs. I've got 18 on the property at the moment, and I've got another 20 being red in New South Wales as well. I had one in Ireland, but she turned out to be a fighter. Um, so I've got a range of pups from about two months old and I've got a couple ready to race in another probably five or six weeks and I've got a couple being broken in and then in about seven days' time I've got... Uh, I think I've got seven to be broken in very shortly as well. Wow. So I've got a heap of dogs out the back, so it's... Uh, I, 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 
I actually wake up in the morning sometimes, Maddie, thinking the dogs are barking and they're not barking. That's how... <laughs> oh, it sounds like you're obviously going quietly mad, but anyway, uh, it's just... like the white line on the on the highway, isn't it? Driving along and you go to sleep and you still see that white line. Yeah, you heard it here first. Terry Bailey's losing his mind. Eh? Simone, you can buy into this as well. When you said you bought one out from Ireland who was a fighter, and it sounds like, well, that's it, she's McGregor. a fighter. What? Uh, yeah, exactly, Conor McGregor. What, Simone? You can get involved here. How common is that? And how you know? Do you just have to put a line through them and say, "Well, we can't race this one"? Can you turn a fighter around? Can you make a fighter a non-fighter, a lover? Oh well, these days it's um, <laughs> <laughs> make a fighter a lover. That's can you a turn really... Bruce Lee into Michael Jackson type well, thing? You, you, you know, can, you can to a degree. You just got to try and get the greyhounds to want to chase more than they want to fight. And back in the old days, there was methods that people use that we obviously do not use at all now. And um, everything has to be a synthetic material to entice a dog to chase. So whether that's uh, you know. A, an old rag or it's a, a ball or something with a squeaker in it. So there's ways you can do it. You're allowed to wear, use blinkers on greyhounds now to keep them sort of focused and not looking at the greyhounds beside them. It can be a challenge for some, but you've really got to try and hone in on that natural instinct to chase and not chase dogs around them um, and be wanting to discuss life's imperfections <laughs> going down the home straight. It's all about, um, you know... So Terry, you you're, you got a fighter all the way out from England and then that was game over, was it? Or did you... I did bought you... her in... Uh, she was by the great Droopy's jet, and she came from a very good family. And uh, her and her sisters, they all fought uh, out in Ireland because I wanted to <laughs> keep her in Ireland, get her in, in, um, uh, mated with Pastana or one of those great dogs and bring to Australia. That was the dream, so that dream fell over. And Simone, it's interesting. <clears throat> um, I've got a bit, um, two dogs, and they're by Beast Unleashed, and they're out of the fighter. It was uh, a <laughs> dog called Isla Bale, but she could run, but she would fight and only had about five studs. I deliberately bought those dogs because sometimes bitches that fight that go to stud can produce very good dogs. Oh, absolutely. Doesn't necessarily mean that that will go on to the next of the family as well. That's right, and breeding can have a lot to do with it. Terry, please excuse my ignorance. I've never met you. I don't know that I've ever run into you at the track, and I didn't know until recently that you were involved with greyhounds. Where have you been? Hiding all these years. Why don't we know about you? And why haven't we had stories? Well, we're doing one now with you on, on your greyhounds. And you've obviously got a lot. You're very well invested into it with rearing and pre-training and getting training. And goes a long way overseas. back, Terry, doesn't it? This story. Why, why don't? Why haven't we had you out in the open with greyhound racing? Um, I really don't know why, Simone. I've, I've been too invested in thoroughbred racing. I raced about nine horses and had a winner at Canterbury with a horse called Gathering Life. Um, my dad used to rear, <clears throat> excuse me, my dad used to rear dogs and also race them. And I had a win as a kid. I think I won $200 and I bought a dog from a Mr. Day at Marrickville. And it was by Morally Chief, the brother to Tim Lee, out of a Tienton Posca bitch by the name of Special Edge. Well, she turned out to be a little superstar. Um, I remember I gave her a trial at Casino, her first ever trial, and she went like a dromedary, and I thought, well, this is good. I've got to start here. <laughs> and then Lismore one night, it absolutely poured rain, and the top dog there was a dog called Leaping Tony. He went 23.78, and my bitch was to trial. Never seen the track before, still a little puppy, and I was standing next to Ray Orchard, the trainer of the great Kananara, and... She won the trial by 20 lengths and went 23.76. You've never seen so many people running towards the um, the catching pen to find out what dog it was. Tell us so. about that, Terry, because you were a young man. It's like discovering you've got takeover target. Like that, that moment at uh, wherever it was at uh, Casino or when you've run a quicker time or as quick a time as the star of the day, you're a young guy starting out in the Greyhound game and suddenly you've got black caviar on your hands and everyone's scampering around trying to work out the identity of this Sunrace superstar. Was that a... Uh, I know it doesn't last forever, but was that a bit of a, a moment in your life, that very moment? Oh, you'll never forget that, Matty. You'll never forget it. Like, this is when you had lots of people at the Greyhound and people were running and jumping over the fence trying to work out what dog it was because you just don't do that. It's unheard of. Anyway, I went up to Queensland to trial her at the Gold Coast, the old Southport track, and... Uh, I think we got on the punt and a few drinks and she stayed at home in the caravan or something like that. And uh, my uncle Johnny uh, said, let's go. And I went up to his place at Red Bank and we went down to Kenny Reed, the man that trained the great Rocket Supreme, and Kenny trained it for me. She had four starts for me before I sold it because I was mad punter and mad 
pretty well mad at the time anyway. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that was the story with her. She was a great little bitch, and she produced a, um, an Ipswich Derby winner. Um, Terry, uh, it's another uh, fighting theme there. You got that bitch, this dog, from Marrickville, so she must have been the Marrickville mauler um, to keep on with that theme. One of our good mates is got involved, and you got him very excited. Our Hong Kong Hutchie, Clint Hutchison, has got some uh, greyhounds off you or with you. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if these names have got through yet, but he, he was, uh, I was getting an indication of what the dog's names, racing names might be. Yes, no, it's already a done deal. I've just got to um, Is it? finish giving them their uh, booster shot, and that'll happen <laughs> next week. And then they're ready to be named. The dog is going to be called uh, TB Morali. Um, <laughs> he reckons I go to the early crow too often. Um, and the bitch is going to be called TB Hindsight, because on the Tuesday program, he reckons I'm a genius after the race. <laughs> TB Morale, you did it to me with Maldestro at Cranburn uh, one day too, but everyone else thought it was home as well, so you weren't Robertson Crusoe. But, uh, hey, tell us about these this venture, because you did you did sort of, you obviously you started out with the Greyhounds and then racing took over and broadcasting because you became one of Australia's leading broadcasters right up the eastern seaboard. But, you know, your DNA was always with the Greyhounds. What sparked this latest thing with the Cranbourne Farm? And is it a commercial enterprise? Are you, uh, what, what are you, what are you doing with these pups? Where's this taking you? Well, I've got 38 pups at the moment, uh, or 37. I've lost count, Matty. Sorry. Um, I've always wanted, I love the Greyhounds. Uh, so man, you'll know this better than anyone. They are the most beautiful animal in the world. If anyone wants a pet, they are the best pets. Uh, they're loyal, they're intelligent, they're just wonderful animals to deal deal with. So um, I, prize money is so good. Greyhound racing prize money is the second most bet commodity outside of thoroughbred racing in for all the big companies here in Australia. And the dogs are fantastic, so I'm going to have a real crack and try and get, me, get myself a couple of good dogs. And my idea is to breed. I've got some... Bitches here out of Group 1 winners by Champion 5. So my dream is to maybe, maybe uh, then find one that can actually run really well and start my own little breeding, uh, become a little mini Godolphin, if you know what I mean. It sounds good. We'll have to be wearing the blue rug all the time. Uh, are you going to train any um, or just rear them and, and breed them, Terry? No, I'm going to train um, a few. Well, I'm allowed to train up to five. I've got to get my trainer's oh, license. Yeah. I've got my owner's license, but yeah. I intend to, Dan. I intend to start with two dogs and, and slowly build up, um, have a bit of fun. It's, yeah, it's pretty hard by yourself trying to do it all, but, yeah, it's, it's good. I've, I'm very lucky. I've met some wonderful people in the greyhound industry. Um, I've got uh, Glenn Connell helps me out. He's out near uh, Sale. I've got Chelsea Oakman, who's in New South Wales. Um, I've got a vet here by the name of Des Fagan, who's a legend. Um, he, he wants me to move preferably to another state or even more preferably to another country. I've driven him nuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got uh, Dave Knocker and Janet and the family. They break most of my dogs in and they've looked after me like a king. It's just been, it's been a wonderful experience. I've really, really enjoyed it. And it sort of always was a little dream of mine because my first dog I named Tamora Bale because I used to love Winifred, Gwendolyn and Mercia Bale that um, Alan Wheeler trained. And, of course, his, his son went on, Paul Wheeler, to be an icon of the sport. And so I've always had a romance. And I called the Greyhounds when I was 14 years old and called them for quite some time. So, yeah. And I called the great Flying Amy, Rinaldi Lack. Yeah. The dog names that you'd be pretty well aware of. We were talking about Flying Amy just mm. a couple of weeks ago being one of Queensland's greatest. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I do, do remember Flying Amy. Well, Terry, I, I think we definitely need to have a catch-up sometime, maybe next time I'm at Sandown, because you're right in the thick of it and where you're living, down Cranbourne, Pearsdale Way, Sandown Way, and that you, you're spoilt with vets as well. Like you mentioned, Des Fagan, you've got Alistair Smith there at Sandown. So mm. you've really got everything at your fingertips to make a real good go of it. Absolutely. Well, and the fantasy would be to call it and train it, wouldn't it? Like to win a Phoenix or something like the Brian Martin um, bit, um, Fields, of Fields of Omar scenario, Terry. I just want to ask you and Dan, um, and Simone was Googling you the other day, Terry, and uh, there's a lot of... Um, Stalking. Yeah, a lot of... Yeah, she, I was researching, a little Terry. Bit of, she's a bit partial to that, Terry. Uh, so and and there's like all public broadcasters or public columnists or whatever there's uh, there's always a bit of RG 
Bargy Bargy on the social media. I'll ask you about that in a minute as well. But the cutting your teeth on calling greyhounds, the sharpness of calling greyhounds as a pre- preparation for, well, not just a preparation for the gallops, but it's a, it's a industry of in its own, of course. But there's no, Dan, I'll ask you first and then Terry that, the the the, uh, the the skill you learn calling a greyhound race is invaluable as you move on to calling other disciplines as well, isn't it? Oh, I believe so, absolutely. Particularly optically and, and verbally, it gets the brain going uh, because you don't want to race the greyhounds, um, but you've got no time uh, to slip things up. So uh, I find the balance great. And even with the trots, the trots is not necessarily the hardest to call, but your concentration is broken more often. Uh, so it's great being able to do the three. And not everyone gets that opportunity to, to do all three, but uh, as Terry will testify, um, the more strings to your bow, the better chances you are uh, of getting a good job in broadcasting or in radio or TV for that matter. And, um, you know, they're all different and it breaks up the monotony, doesn't it, Terry? Absolutely. I used to um, I used to love calling the greyhounds and then I went to the thoroughbred um, a few years later. And then when I went to Queensland, Wayne Wilson said, go out to Albion Park and practice, practice. He said, it will improve your calling by doing the harness racing as well. And when I started doing harness racing, I then was able to, and like you said, not race the dogs, I was able to come back a few links and call fast, but not sound fast, if you know what I mean, mm. if you can make yep. sense of that. So to call the three codes is a great thing. I would, I would say to any young race caller, you should do that. You should try that because it will improve you all round as a race caller. It's all, yep, no about, all about timing for race callers, isn't it? And when we talk about the elite race callers, the people that we speak about fondly all the time, like your Bill Collins, your Greg Miles, and it's that timing element that's so crucial to producing such a a beautiful call, isn't it? And like you say, it must be hard not to start speaking faster, particularly in the Greyhounds and the 300 metres up the Hillsville straight, but just to be articulate and efficient with your words. It it is a skill. I I admire anyone who does it, and... um, Terry, that's why I didn't want to read any negative press on you because I thought I could never do it myself. Well, just on that, Terry, because you and you stick your neck out higher because you're a colourful character and Rick McIntosh is a bit the same and, and others uh, who are prepared to, you know, colour things up a bit, expose themselves to, to to sort of the social media type thing. And you were, I think you were with Matt Hill on Racing.com a few weeks ago and you were very candid about um, at times when the backlash to certain things becomes a bit overwhelming and I remember Greg Miles said the same thing about the the Mongolian Khan Caulfield Cup which Greg took a long time to to get over and yours was the crown glory ha ha uh, no not ha ha it was Belle de Jure uh, golden slipper where everyone in the world thought crown glory was home including you and but there was backlash to that and 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 it took a while to get over it because it's a very public very public thing, isn't it? So as much as you roll with the punches, there can be times where it can actually get on top of you a little bit, the uh, the reaction sometimes. It's funny when you say that. Bill Collins, when you think of the Cox Plate, you think, oh, he says uh, Kingston Town can't win. You guys probably won't understand this one. Ben Hunt dropped the ball when it was 16-all in a grand final when he was playing for the Broncos against the Cowboys. A great, great player, but he's always remembered for that, which is totally wrong, you know? And... Yeah, with the Crown Glory incident, like I said to Matty, I called really well that day, and then I stuffed that race up. And social media has, you know, of all the race callers, I've been smashed probably the most. And I used to stay on social media because my attitude was, because I'm very dogmatic, (laughs) is that I'm not going to let these bastards beat me. I'm going to fight back. And as it turns out now, since I've been on social media for a few years now, I should have done that first off straight away. You know, it took a real toll on me. I've uh, had... You know, pretty deep depression and really, really struggled. And sometimes I go to the races and just sit in the box and, you know, I'd cry. You know, it was that tough. Mm. Um, but now I'm, I'm on top of me, my game again. I feel fantastic. And, mate, I'm who I am. I can't satisfy everyone. If I want to try and satisfy everyone, and Dan will know this, having years and years of experience at the top level, if you want to please everyone, you'll never please yourself. Yeah, really good. It's a good point. Advice. It's a good point, Terry. 
I mean, you got to put your head on the pillow at night. It doesn't matter if you're involved in horse racing or not. And I always like to, by the time I eventually put my head on the pillow, night or morning, be satisfied with whatever I've done that day, which usually involves your family, which is first, and then your work, or as best uh, you can do with with that. And, and look, I, I, I don't know if I've said it to you personally before, I've never come across a person that starts every race meeting as positive as what you do. You get me interested in some of those Monday or Tuesday or Friday meetings like no other race caller can. I can't do it. So you've got, you've got some strengths within you that we can all learn from. And the positivity you've got is extraordinary, mate. So congratulations on that. And, and the involvement in Tuesdays with Terry has just promoted Tuesday racing beyond what I think Racing Victoria thought it could go to. So well done. Thanks, Dan. That's very lovely words. I really, really appreciate that. And I love my job. I'm the luckiest bloke, even though I've had some really tough years. I'm so lucky that I do something that I truly love. And I am outspoken because I'm passionate. And I don't like at the moment where racing is when it comes to the media, where everyone toes the line, you're not allowed to say anything. A strong industry is an industry that has a strong racing media. And I think that's something that's really missing. I kind of concur, Terry. I'm seeing it drift into a certain way where the the value of independent voices and challenging voices and asking questions and, you know, if, if, if the industry comes up with some ideas, um, they have to be tested and they, questions have to be asked and then if the ideas still survive, then they stand up. So I, I think lack of scrutiny is a terrible way that things can go and I think we are at a bit of a crossroad in that sense as well. Hey, um, good on you, mate. Thanks very much for joining us today. Um, you're a bit of a gem in the industry, and uh, for the reasons that we just described, you and Rick and all the others, and Dan and uh, and Matt Hill, uh, everyone's different, but you, you put it all together and you've got a, a, an amazing broadcasting uh, arm to the industry. Thank you very much for joining us today, and uh, look for Where are you? Are you off to Werribee today? Uh, no, Matty. Um, I'm going to a birthday party tonight, and then I'm doing Mornington, and then we're back in the studio on Tuesday, and we will restart that Tuesday with Terry's show a little bit later in the month. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to that. And I think one of the highlights for me, and I mentioned it when Maddie was on the show, and it might sound a bit, maybe a bit stupid or, I don't know, maybe a bit brown-nosed, but watching Maddie Hill become the caller that he's become, and I don't mean as a race caller, I mean as an all-round caller who I rate as one of the best I've ever, ever seen, that's a highlight for me in my career to be able to see Matt go to that level and not only go to that level, but stay so humble and so genuine. That's a, that's a real highlight for me anyway. And he paid for Brad Bishop and my lunch the other day in Victoria Street, calling it in a very humble way too, which was lovely, uh, Terry. Uh, hey, uh, good on you, mate. Uh, you're a legend. Thanks very much. And look forward to the continuation of Tuesdays with Terry, which are a must-watch on, on .com as well. Thanks, guys. Have a great day and back a winner. Terry Bailey there, who is a true character. It's quarter to 11. We're going to take a break and come back with another true character in Andy Gaff. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Malicki and Simone Fisher. Cracking the codes. And then he's a trick. Modu Crusader, Bella's Delight and Tanami Bromac. 27-8. They rip down the back in the Bendigo Cup. Sushi Sushi moved up to Marsish. They corner together. Up to third and to getting to the outside. Auckland Reactor. Highview Tommy was gone. Sushi Sushi took the lead from Marsish. Here's Auckland Reactor down the middle. Sushi Sushi digging in for the fight. Marsish coming back. Sushi Sushi's back in Vic. He wins it ahead. Second is Marsish. Third Auckland Reactor. They came away. From decorated. That's the Bendigo Cup from 2013, Bendigo Pacing Cup, and it has to be one of the best. A lot of great horses have won that race, but uh, Sushi Sushi had to really lift to hold off Auckland Reactor, and it was a great memory. And I'm sure that Andy Gath, he remembers far more than I do, particularly in the harness world, and he joins us, trainer of Majestuoso. I reckon you'd remember that night, Andy. Yeah, no, I do. I remember most nights, unfortunately, showing me age, a bit like you. <laughs> well, who, well, you're a little bit older. Nice little Actually, jab there, Andy. Matt, well played, Matt, well played. Matt Stewart will like this. Are you older than Matt as well, or is it a photo finish between... I think you're older than all of us, aren't you? Yeah, I think you, I've got you all covered, so, um, yeah, you know, you're probably <laughs> looking at me. Tate reminded me of that. He's got a very young bride who runs marathons and so on. He's going to start getting paranoid, Dan. No, don't do this <laughs> to Andy. He's going to get paranoid. He's going to get paranoid. Hey, Andy, I was curious to ask you, um, all these horses have come out of gruelling... Into Dominion campaigns, and Majestuoso is one of those. Uh, 
fuel in the tank. I mean, as far as tonight goes, for instance, very short prize favourite. He's, but he's had a tough six or seven weeks, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. He's come through it really good. And um, he's still got a lot more to go through the next six or seven weeks. There's a lot of big races. So um, uh, he was probably fortunate enough that the start of the Inter-Minion was the start of his campaign. So um, he got fitter as the series went through. But he has come through it really good and he's in really good order and he's going to have to be tonight with a great field he's up against. It's over the short trip as well. And there's a lot of, for, for trotters, there's a lot of horses that are quick beginners here. Are you concerned something from out wider might be able to, to, to cross you? Because I, I find Majestuoso a good beginner without being a brilliant beginner. Is that fair or am I underrating him? No, that's probably fair. And he probably begins better from out wider. Um, so, yeah, you know, if they all chance their arm early, which I think a lot of them will, uh, you know, he's no guarantee to, to be leading. And I think they'll be pretty cautious on the one horse I'm ready to get. They'll make sure she's just trotting and they won't be sort of too bothered about bustling her out. So, um... Yeah, no, he wanted Luke to go pretty good and that his best to be uh, finding the top tonight. Might just touch on those runners tonight that you've got at, uh, at, at Bendigo. There's a few ex-Kiwis there as well. And then, then we'll uh, make mention of Catch a Wave and what he's up to. But you've got Central Otago, um, who's been going really well. Uh, and then you've got the ex-Kiwis in Whiskey Cavalier and Vintage Cheddar. And they both look like horses that are going to c- continue to win races for you. Yeah, Central Otago's been progressing quite well, this preparation getting better all the time. He's just probably a notch below the better ones and just sort of drawn outside his two main dangers tonight going to make it a little bit tough for him, but I'm sure, you know, he's probably clearly the third pick in the race and I think he'll go pretty well. Uh, Whiskey Cavalier, he's a horse probably still work in progress a little bit, hasn't really got the racing manners and racing know-how yet, but he's got a really big motor and, um, you know, got a lot of time for him. I think in six months' time you're going to see a real good horse taking on you know, hopefully going in some big races. So um, he's in a very winnable race. I think he's my best hope tonight. And Vintage Cheddar, he's first up. He had a great four bleed last start. It was a while back and gave him a pretty good break. And, yeah, he's working quite good. He'll probably need the run. But, um, again, he won his first four when he first came over to Australia. And um, he had that setback when he got beat. So, um, yeah, we expect he's going to run pretty good as well. I always think with a name like Vintage Cheddar, he'd be much shorter priced if he was Tasmanian Bree or Rock Four or, or Skelton or something like that. Um, but the Vintage Cheddar, you always get a little bit of value about. Why, why are you suggesting? Are you saying it's not as um, fancy as the other cheeses, Dan? <laughs> Perhaps. Well, Andy, have you got a view on this? He's produced a wild card here, hasn't well, he? With he has the cheese comment. His favourite name's Colby, which I think, you know, Have you ever had the Stilton? No, it's feral, mate. You no, can smell good. it a kilometre away. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. I quite like it. Now, Andy, catch a wave. Uh, this horse, he was terrific. He got the job done, although, oddly enough, I reckon I've seen him go better than he did winning the Group 1, but in a way he was more tractable winning the Vic Bread. Um, he's had his eyes on a bigger prize probably for a number of months, uh, heading towards September next year in the Eureka. Is that the race that you're going to be... Um, Aiming for even this far out? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, they put a two million dollar race in front of us, and we've never had an opportunity to race with that type of money before. Uh, there's a lot of nice races along the way too, if the chariots are fire and everything. But obviously, the Eureka is his main target, and obviously, everything we do between here and now is, you know, that race in mind having spot on on September the second. So, um, hopefully, um, yeah. So everything we, we do with him, um, that's the race we're thinking about. Obviously. There's other races he'll go in along the way. Uh, the Chariots will be his next sort of target. Hopefully um, he can qualify for that race and have a trip away to an angle and have a look at the track before he uh, takes on the Eureka. But, yeah, he did pull up with a little bit of a snotty nose after the big red and had a bit of a, you know, bit of a cold since, and we haven't passed working since he actually raced. So probably agree with you too. You know, he got the job done. He was probably off a touch. So, um, you know, probably fortunate to get away with it. And, you know, this bride illness has sort of come on. Not too bad of a time for us. Hey, um, Joe, just quickly, the, you, you've got three well on the market. Could we do a, an all-up parlay? Is there one that's just a total moral as opposed to the others? What's the final mail there tonight? Well, I think Whiskey Cavalier is a moral. Beautiful, wow. Whiskey Cavalier. Hey, um, what I was just thinking, it's going to be a stinking hot weekend. I'm going up to Mansfield for the Mansfield Cup, and it's going to be really, really hot. But the beauty of racing at night in the harness on these, these hot summers is uh, the evening breezes and so on. It's The heat's not as big an issue when you're mostly racing at night through these country cups? 
not really. The first probably four or five races are sort of can be raced in a little bit of uh, heat. Uh, Bendigo gets quite warm, and just depends where you're stable to <laughs> at Bendigo. Sometimes you can be in the shade or be in the sun, so a um, little bit luck of the draw. So hopefully uh, when I get there tonight, I'm in the shade. Now, don't let Dan make you feel guilty about marrying a much younger bride either. He's planting a seed here, Andy, and I'm not sure where he's going with it, but you just sort of continue on with confidence and, you, and you, you know, you'll be fine. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, yeah, no, I think he's. Uh, I think Dan knows how fortunate he was to find Tanya. Yeah. Oh, mate, did he get lucky? Did he? I can't, yeah. still can't believe it, to be honest. So. And I did meet Kate's lovely sister. Is it Courtney? Courtney? Yeah. yeah, lovely. I, I said to her, I said, you have to be Kate Gaff's sister. They look very, very similar. And um, oh. she was a lovely girl the other night. Oh, so no, um, hello, Courtney, if you're listening. It's, it's a strong crew of uh, daughters. That the, is it the, the Thompson family? What's, the, what's the, the family? Yeah. The Thompson family. Yeah, yeah no, the, Mr. and Mrs. Thompson did very well, Andy. Uh, we'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah, not a Good on you. Good, Good on you, mate. Tonight. Good luck. Andy, Andy would always say to me, every morning I wake up, I feel 14 years younger. <laughs> So, <laughs> all right, we're, 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 we're wandering off the path. I, uh, I, uh, I found this little package just to set up this little, next little bit on on Cardigan Bay, and it was it's an American voice, but it'll go to an American race. But it just sets up how big harness racing either is or certainly was in North America. A horse race is a running race with jockeys in their flashy silks that drive the speeding steeds. But if urbanites regard thoroughbred races as the sport of kings, country folk look upon harness racing as the king of sports. To them, one of the most beautiful sights in the world is the graceful rhythmic footwork of a fast trotter in action. Then one day in August, presto, as if by magic, the sleepy village becomes a teeming city. Thousands of persons come from miles around to fill the parking lots, crowd the stands, and line the rails. They have come to watch the most famous of trotting races, the Corn Castle Derby, the Hamiltonian. These are true fans of a great American sport. Unlike many thoroughbred race devotees who have never been nearer to a horse than the inside of a bookie joint, these people have come to watch the race. Half of them won't do any betting at all. Most of the rest will wager modestly. They get more kicks from the sport itself than from the attendant gambling. Lovely. It was quaint, and uh, I think we can all relate to it. But that sort of sets up where I'm going to with this mighty horse from New Zealand called Cardigan Bay. And, and maybe I'm too many generations removed, uh, Matt, but what this horse did in flying the flag for not just uh, New Zealand, but I think Australasian racing uh, from both codes, um, it's a remarkable feat. He won. He was the first Australasian horse of any code to win a million dollars, and he did it. 14 years before Kingston Town. It's extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. And it sort of ties in Farlap's mission to Mexico was, you know, the whole thing about us being a little small country and proving to the Yanks what we could do. And then lovely tie-in with Emma Stewart's uh, potential quest with a group of flash horses to go to America as well, Simone. Yeah, I did uh, hear some of that during the week, but I just wanted to, on Cardigan Bay, Dan, that little photo you've sent of the grandstand at Addington in New Zealand on fire in 1961. Now I was trying to think about a timeline. You've got the horses racing this fire. You're going to try and solve this riddle? Yeah, this grandstand Mm. is well ablaze. It's not something that's just happened in the last couple of minutes. This is a cold case, you realise. So I feel that this fire... It was was New Zealand Cup Week 1961. ...was going well before the race must have started, but they must have thought, right, let's just, there's nothing we can do about that. Let's deal with that. Let's get the race underway. And um, there's this amazing photo from the inside of the track with the horses on the rail, which looks like a wooden fence, um, with the grandstand ablaze in the background. And a big crowd. Yeah. A lot of people about. Very forensic eye you've used there on this photo. You might be right. So the, <laughs> the grandstand was ablaze, and so too was Cardigan Bay, because he, he not only won that race that day, and he's remembered for a lot of things. He won 80 races in total, but as an aged horse, an aged horse, he went to the US. He'd already had injuries in Australia, and he comes back to, uh, or goes to America, uh, in a race that was promoted as the race of the century against the world champion, Brett Hanover. It wasn't a match race. There were a few, hours in it, few others in it at 100 to 1. And this is the way, the race of the century. Harness race, Brett Hanover, world champion versus Cardigan Bay. 
Here they are at the head of the stretch. It's Sweet Luck along the rail. A late behind Cardigan Bay. That Matt Hanover. Cardigan Bay is in front. Matt Hanover is coming at him. Cardigan Bay holding him off. Cardigan Bay goes under the wire of the winner. Matt Hanover is second. Adios Marches is third. The time was two minutes flat. It sounds like the Super Bowl, doesn't it? The crowd just going uh, ape in in the background with uh, this remarkable horse, and he truly was a remarkable horse. He passed the million dollars in 1967, um, and uh, remember, he was foaled in 1956. So uh, he's beaten Brett Hanover. He was twice the age of the world champion, Brett Hanover. He won an Inter-Dominion off a, a long handicap. Think. New Zealand, how many times he travelled to Australia and then New Zealand, won 80 races and his earnings of over $1 million US earnings by the way uh, well in advance of any other harness horse in the world and any other Australasian thoroughbred for that matter, it's it's pretty amazing Pretty amazing, you know what's going to be really amazing is uh, surviving in the heat up at Mansfield tomorrow, um, what are you doing uh, I'm heading off from here, picking up young Max heading up to Mansfield, staying in the caravan at Gerald Egan's, mm, good luck maybe that. helping him put a little bit of final spit and polish on the track then off to the Mansfield Cup tomorrow. What are you up to, Simone? Uh, no, I haven't got too much happening this weekend. I was away for a couple of days and visited the statue of Petrobus in Rosedale yesterday on my way back from sale. She loves a statue, Dan. Yeah, she does. 1915 Melbourne Cup winner Petrobus. And I did put it out on my Twitter for anyone I that, saw that does want to I have a look. That. Yeah, it had a few cobwebs. I thought they need to be doing some housework on Did you brush statue. them aside? I didn't. I didn't have my feather duster with me. What are you up to? Hey, Dan, are you Mr. Bendigo tonight? No, I'm not tonight. I'll be out at Sandown today, so I'm going to be enjoying uh, uh, being the, the anchor for the race day coverage on RSN in the box with Matt, Matt Hill. So I'm really looking forward to being out at Sandown all day, and I'll be on here tomorrow morning uh, as well on RSN, joining Warren Huntley, which I love to do from time to time on uh, on Correct Weight. We've got the mile rate 7.30 to 8, so uh, oh, don't worry. I'll have sore shoulders carrying you guys through the next couple of days. And I'll be at Yarra Valley Trots on Monday. One last thing, Dan. I'm sure you knew this, but Andy Gath has sent me a text saying Cardigan Bay has a postage stamp issued of him in 1970, and he also appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show with the Beach Boys. So there you go. Well, there you go. How's that? I'd love... I'd, actually, very quick one before we go. We were driving the other day with one of the kids and his girlfriend, and we are saying, what do you have to do to get a street named after you? And we are talking about, what do you have to do to get on a postage stamp? Do you think there'll ever be a Dan Malecki postage stamp? There's probably more chance of a Dan Malecki postage stamp than a Matt Stewart and Simone Fisher. Oh, well, see, you're cracking the code. It might be celebrating all three of the show. Anyway, we've got to go. The only way you're going to get on a postage stamp, Dan, is if you do a particularly good effort uh, episode of the 11 to 12 and then a a very good race day coverage today. It's your only chance. Simone, you have a lovely day. You too. Dan, you have a lovely day. Well, you have a lovely three minutes before we reconvene. (laughs) Uh, It's two minutes past 11.